wood, the holly bears the crown. For the rising of the sun and the running of the deer, the playing of the merry heart, sweet singing in the choir. The holly bears the blossom as white as leafy flower, a merry one, sweet Jesus Christ, to whom we are sweet. WPTF Radio, AM 680 and FM 98.5, Tom Kearney, the Tom Kearney Show for a Thursday night. It is December 17th, and yes, it is the anniversary. We, we'll just mention this in an aside here of the first flight. Uh, yay, many years ago, I think it was 117 years ago that the Wright brothers took flight at uh, Kill Devil Hill. Uh, the Tom Kearney Show is on every night, Monday through Friday, from 9 until 10, with a little bit of live and in real-time radio, and we try to bring you programs that are uh, entertaining and uh, educational, and one of our regular programs that I really look forward to every year. Uh, this lady comes to visit us uh, a minimum of three times, because they, she does a program around Valentine's Day and one near Easter, and then there's that long time after Easter and we invited her a couple of times to come and talk about other things that have to do with gardening because she knows all about it, gardening and plants and so on. Her name is Pam Beck, and I hope she's on the other end of the line. Are you there, Pam? I am here, and I'm enjoying hearing your voice, Tom. Uh, well, I'm glad that you're there. John and I were, were kind of scrambling to get all of the different things that we had to do done And after I talked to you about, well, I guess about 10 minutes ago, and I'm glad that you're there and that... Uh, you have, I hope, an audience, so your 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 director, uh, Mike, is there making sure that you don't wander away from the telephone or the microphone or whatever that is. Yeah, and Mike, you Mike. You be with us tonight. Uh, uh, that was the same theme song that we've used uh, several years, the holly and the ivy. And uh, I guess one reason I always want to have a holly mentioned early, I re just remembered this, this evening while I was sitting here waiting to call you, uh, it used to be where I drove in my driveway and drove up to the end just before the garage that I could not go in. I would get out, and there was a, a holly bush there, and it was got, had a lot of red mixed in with the green. And if I came just close enough, I could get caught on one of those prickly spines there somewhere. If I wasn't awake, it got me. Does that sound like a holly bush to you? That is a holly bush. They are very prickly and pointed, um, and the ones that vary, by the way, are females. There are male and female hollies, and if you okay. wonder sometimes why you have one that does not do that, it may be the, the boy in the in the group that needs so well, badly. So. It's amazing what you 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 learn after the years, and then we'll, we'll, I'm going to turn it over and let you, let you talk mostly tonight. I may kibitz a little bit, but I was watching one of my Hallmark movies. I'm a big fan of Hallmark movies. And one of the characters in it was a gardener. In fact, it was a, a, a really poignant one where the guy and the girl who meet, he, she needs a kidney and he's going to give her a kidney. And not only do they, they, they bond that way, but they fall in love with each other too. And it's a real, and strangely enough, it's based on something that really happened. I mean, at the end, they show you a picture of the real couple uh, that, that was behind the story. But uh, she instructs him that uh, 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 mistletoe is, is white, and it's, if it's red, it's, it's, it's holly, is what she said. Is that, that true? Well, if mistletoe is white, it does have a white berry, and it is a very different 
love to talk about that a little bit more, but you got me started on Holly now. I'm, I'm uh, ready to talk about that a little bit first, if you'd well, like. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm passing you the ball. You run for the goal line now, okay? <laughs> well, I wanted to mention how, how um, apropos this is, because today is not only the anniversary of that first flight that we're so proud of here in North Carolina, but going back a little bit further, back to around 400 um, BCE, we are talking about a celebration that happened on December 17th called Saturnalia. And Saturnalia was an ancient Roman festival and holiday in the honor of the god Saturn. It was held on the 17th of December, and it usually went until about the 23rd. And this was a um, celebration. Uh, Saturn was considered to be the god of agriculture. So this is after the time that all the crops are in. It's before um, anything was going to be planted and really, really uh, taken care of again. So there was a little break there. So Romans had this big party that started off with a sacrifice at the temple, and then they had a public banquet, and there was gift giving and partying, and um, a lot of our Christmas celebrations come to us based on the history of Saturnalia, and things that we commonly think of, such as holly wreaths and decking halls with holly, is something that was done in Saturnalia. So it has that, that lovely, continuous um, history of being used to adorn uh, pillars, uh, drape across windows, make wreaths that are a symbol of immortality, and hang those up uh, to celebrate a very special time of year with gift-giving and gags and festivals and good food, good drink, and, and lots of fun with your friends. Well, this time of year was, and uh, BCE for those who may, may not, recognize it because, you know, there's been a change in that, the way that's been done. It right. used to be called, uh, uh, what was it, A.D.? B.C. Uh, and A.D. And what was the, what, what was B.C. before the B.C.? It was just called. It was before, just B.C. B.C. And now right? it's before, and before the Christ Common Era. was what it yeah. used to be, and now it's before the Common Era, I think right. it stands for. Yeah. But uh, it's good to know that things go back that far. But in those times, we were in that period when they and we we are here too when we're in a time when the when the uh, the days are getting shorter and the nights are getting longer and right. the the world is diving into darkness a lot quicker and uh, uh, parties were being held just in case uh, that uh, that we didn't come out of the the trough so to speak and uh, and to and it was also in. to encourage the parties were to encourage the sun to come back and um, this this appropriate uh, parties that were held or celebrations or um, rituals that were performed around the time of the winter solstice were very important because it was part of the timekeeping, you know, pre, prehistory. Right. Uh, man didn't have a, a way of understanding that the sun would come back and that um, to, to look at these these time periods saying this is this is a frightening, it's a dark time, and I need to do something to um, encourage the sun to come back and warm up the earth and 
and help things grow again because think about it, in the northern latitudes this time of year, not in the south because they're having summer down there, but in the northern latitudes, uh, it was it was bitterly cold and very dark, and especially in the extreme north, and the um, the need the the hungry times were now the need for uh, it to be warm enough or nice enough to go out and even hunt, not to mention uh, being able to forage and find something else. It was very important to have these celebrations, and yes, a lot of what we celebrate and why we do it this time of year is also based on the, the winter solstice, and that's coming up on the 21st. It is usually you know, celebrated about 21st, 22nd, and well, this is another time of using certain plants, and it's, it's lovely that you mentioned mistletoe because that's one of the plants that the Druids were very keen on harvesting and using in their celebrations around the time of the solstice. Mentioning Druids, uh, to connect all this up before we take a quick break here, is uh, yay many miles, I don't know, it's probably 50 miles north of Dublin in Ireland, is a place called Newgrange that is older than the, than the pyramids and it's older than Stonehenge. And it's a big pile of rocks, and there's a narrow alleyway you can go into it, and there's a box, a square over the door that will emit light. You may have been there, Pam. Uh, but uh, I have not visited Ireland yet. It's on my on my list, Tom. Well, if you if you like this kind of stuff, this is where you have to go because it, they construct it so that on the the day of the solstice, the light will come in and and stream down to the back of the hallway there. So it's just a pile of rocks. But it's a kind of marker to, so that every year they'll know, well, this is the day that is the shortest day of the year. And that's the only day that the light comes in the box at a particular angle and shows on a particular spot. So, And I've been there a couple of times, and it's, it's really kind of eerie and kind of inspiring. But it's at least 5,000 years old. Mm. And having said that, I will let you catch your breath. We need to take a break. Pam Beck, uh, gardener, uh, I guess part-time farmer probably, but uh, uh, gardening journalist. Uh, she writes and she gives talks. In fact, we should probably give your pedigree right now, uh, uh, Pam, and say that uh, if one wants to get in touch with you or find out about all the things you do, your uh, email address, I think, or your website address is PamBeckGardens.com, Garden, is that right? Gardens with a plural, it's, it's Gardens, C-A-R-D-E-N-S, and it's .com is my website, and you can, you can contact me there, and it gives a lot of information about what I do and, and what I like to talk about, and I'm really enjoying talking about this tonight. Okay, well, I want to get out of the way so you can talk about it some more, but well, we must pay homage, and we'll be back in just a couple of minutes. And we are talking about uh, flowers and plants and the history thereof of the particular season we're in now, and uh, and that's the Christmas, Hanukkah, uh, I, uh, and Kwanzaa, and other names for different groups that may be represented in this particular holiday season. And uh, well, we have something for everybody. Pam, are you there? 
I am here, and I absolutely agree with you. And it's interesting because so many of these holidays around this time do go back to what we were talking about before the break, and that is the uh, celebrations around the solstice. And we had uh, mentioned a little bit about the uh, fact that mistletoe was so important. And part of the reason for that was that mistletoe was growing normally on um, big deciduous trees like giant oaks. And the oak in ancient um, times, especially in northern Europe, was considered the king of the uh, summer. And this was something that, because it went deciduous in the winter, then the holly that we referred to earlier was the king of wintertime or any other evergreen that looked like it was defying the odds and staying uh, green and alive. And mistletoe is very green through the wintertime. And so if people looked up through these large ancient oaks and they saw mistletoe growing up there, they thought, well, this must be something that's very, very special. So it was harvested and enjoyed, and it is a... Uh, it was used medicinally, even though it's a poisonous plant, but also because it symbolized hope and renewal and bringing back light with the, with the winter solstice parties and, and, and ceremonies. It was also, there was the old custom of uh, greeting people underneath the mistletoe and kissing people underneath the mistletoe. So um, this is where this came to for us, and we're still doing something that was done a long, long time ago, and, and uh, a lot of times we don't know what the origin was, but in this case, Pliny, the Roman Pliny, recorded uh, about the uh, ancient Druids using this as a plant of peace and how they harvested it very carefully, and they hung it in meeting places where no fighting was allowed. Interesting, interesting. Uh, I... Uh... You mentioned one thing. I don't want to take you away from the subject, but uh, you mentioned the poisonous nature of, I think, mistletoe. Uh, and I was reading up, trying to do a little preparation today, and one of the plants that apparently is used a lot at Christmas is the yew plant. You may know about this more than I. Well, I don't know anything about it, but 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 the the, the uh, material that I was reading said the yew plant should stay outside because it is poisonous to humans and animals. Right, and what they're talking about is a plant. Is botanical name is Taxus. Um, it is an evergreen conifer, and these used to be planted uh, primarily outside of churches in um, England. You'll oftentimes find giant yews around the church and in the in the cemetery. The yews were used um, a lot of times for uh, bows and arrows because of the flexible uh, nature of the of the wood itself. But it is something that you know you don't want to actually accidentally ingest, and um, that's true of a, of a lot of the things that we use for the holidays. Uh, you don't want to eat, for instance, ivy if you use it in a decorative way. You don't want to eat that. One of the plants, though, I do want to mention that we don't usually give a whole lot of attention to because we run out of time. Is our poinsettias, though, and this is a plant that North Carolina has some bragging rights with this plant. We are the second largest producer of poinsettia plants in the U.S., only behind California. And it's, it's largely thanks to 
research and um, development that was done at NC State University, not only by the late, great Dr. Roy Larson, but also by Dr. John Dole, who um, taught everybody a lot about how to produce poinsettias, and then the local green industry picked it up, picked it up and ran with it. But poinsettias have a reputation for being poisonous, and they are not. And it's because they accidentally got listed in a, um, a publication that was put out by the Army that there was a child who was thought to have been poisoned by one, and so it got listed, but it's not. And I don't know if you remember this, Tom, but our uh, cooperative extension agent, Irv Evans, uh, used to go on television shows and radio programs, and he would eat poinsettia leaves. They're not very good. They're, they're <laughs> full of this nasty latex-type uh, sap that a lot of people have a allergic reaction to. Not very good, but he would eat them just to just to prove that, no, no, this is okay. This is not something you have to worry about. That sounds like Herb Evans, the Herb Evans that I knew. Yes, you knew and loved. And, and ironically, this is how you and I met many years ago, is that we were both working with the Weekend Gardener when Herb was, uh, was doing that program. We, we but, should uh, mention that... Uh, and I, you, maybe you're going to, but uh, I approached, discovered the poinsettia through the, the channels, through another channel, and that is I was a student of history, and it's named after a man from South Carolina named Joel Roberts Poinsett, who was the first minister to Mexico, and he saw them in Mexico and just thought they were beautiful, and he's how they got here, as you know. Yes, and he was a, he was a uh, hobbyist botanist, and a lot of the early... I, I hate to use the term uh, better educated, but it was it was fashionable for men in the 1700s, 1800s to have an interest in natural things, natural history. And because this country and places that they were going to were exotic and new, uh, to find a plant to be able to introduce it to the public or an insect or a, a new animal was really something very special and very important, and Dr. Joel Poinsett did that and um, as the first ambassador to Mexico. And he brought these back to his hometown of Charleston, South Carolina. And so um, that's pretty much how, how they got here. The neat thing about poinsettias is that um, the, what we usually refer to as the colorful part, the flowers, those are actually bracts. And bracts are modified leaves that change color to draw insects in so that they'll see the, the real true flowers, which are in the center area. And that's what's turning color and gives us those beautiful reds and pinks and, and whites that we so like at this time of the year. And there is a legend, a Christmas legend about poinsettia that uh, is called the Flores de Noche Bueno, the Flowers of the Holy Night. And uh, the legend is that two small children were going to church, and they didn't have a gift to leave at the creche for the Christ child. So they picked roadside weeds to carry along the way. And though these were a humble gift, they were given with love. So the miracle occurred, transforming those green bracts to rich red and the true inner flowers to bright gold. And that's how it's always been uh, thought of as a holy night. Flower, and you'll see these oftentimes in churches this time of year, and they're they're a wonderful plant. In one of those movies that I was watching, and we do need to go to our news break right after this. 
the there was a workaholic lady and uh, somebody advised her to stop and smell the poinsettias and she pointed out that they don't they don't have any aroma they don't have any they don't have any fragrance <laughs> at all but we'll just have to remember that 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 will be the way I greet you from now on Pam Beck is our guest we're approaching the half hour news on WPTF radio we're going to pause and find out what's going on in the world and then we'll be back they sang my spirit back to life. One tiny child can change the world One shining light can show the way Through all my tears for all I've lost There's still my joy There's still my joy For Christmas Day John, we can let that go now. Pam, are you there? I absolutely love hearing that song. That's John, Fate, go ahead and fade it. Pam, are you there? I am, I am, Tom. That I hope was that beautiful. was all right. That was our, our mid-program musical selection, and that was the Inigo Girls, and I just discovered this within the last week, and it's a... a uh, about a guy who takes his Christmas tree down to the shore and decorates it with food and bread and shells and stuff, and the birds eat it, and the baby's born. And, and well, so how on, appropriate so. that uh, we would talk about Christmas trees, especially uh, this time of year, because trees have that wonderful, uh, especially the evergreens, have that wonderful symbol of hope for us. They are they are defying the odds of nature. They're defying the, the shorter days, and they're staying evergreen, and they are symbol of hope and life and light. And uh, we do dearly love Christmas trees. And in fact, uh, just as North Carolina is the second largest producer of poinsettias, only behind California, we are also the second largest producer of Christmas trees, only behind Oregon. And I believe, if I, memory serves, the statistic was um, we are producing something on the range of 50 million Christmas trees. And that's through 850 farmers who are growing them, especially in the mountains. And um, they are very, very special to us. And, and we are, again, doing an old celebration of bringing something green into the house. And taking it, when you take it out and you're getting rid of it after enjoying it for Christmas, to be able to take it out and let it become a perch for the birds with, um, well, hopefully seed and not bread <laughs> tied onto it. Or if you um, have the, in, there's an area where you can donate it to be thrown into a lake so it creates bedding for fish. That's a wonderful way to recycle it or just have it ground up and, and use it in your garden some way that way, too. These are totally recyclable, and, and it's a, just a lovely, lovely thing that we do with them. Do you know when the Christmas tree, I understand about bringing in a part of the forest, and that it would go back past, past the period we've been talking about earlier to the Druids and so on, but when the Christmas tree came in the house to be a, the the centerpiece, more or less, of the Christmas uh, setup. Uh, well, it's interesting because there's records in the 15 and 1600s in, in Germany of uh, Christmas trees being used and being decorated. 
quoted, and there's that beautiful legend of, of Martin Luther walking one uh, snowy, clear evening through the woods and noticing how the stars twinkled on the trees and therefore brought one into his house and hung candles on it in order to show his family the effect that it had. And um, candles on Christmas trees were something that was you saw in Germany and also in Scandinavia. And that was brought over to the U.S. as early as the Revolutionary War. Now, normally we think of the Christmas tree as being introduced much later, but um, some of these early soldiers, it was something that they did, and, and it was brought in. Somebody recently said on um, a site that I saw that, thank goodness for them, because otherwise we might be having a very dull, dark, and dismal uh, Puritan-type Christmas. And what they were referring to is that because Christmas celebrations were so raucous and they had gotten more secular that the early uh, the church around the time of the Puritans and even Cromwell, um, they looked down on Christmas celebrations that was supposed to be very pious and serious and, and uh, they didn't like the drinking and the gift-giving and the celebrations and the candles and, and uh, bright, flashy things. But the Christmas trees are, are a wonderful uh, plant that we we are very fond of. And again, like I said, it's one of those things that we we forget, that, that ancient connection, and a lot of it has to do with the solstice, too. We, uh, it was associated with the Yule log that was brought into a house, and it was supposed to be a very large log, and it was supposed to keep the fires and the, and the home fires burning. And it so happens today I found a, a beautiful blessing. It's a traditional prayer that said when the Yule log was lighted, it was uh, made the fire of this log warm the cold, may the hungry be fed, may the weary find rest, and may all enjoy heaven's peace. Nice, nice. Well, may I say that you mentioned uh, the Revolutionary War. A certain number of the troops that were fighting for Great Britain were Hessians, who were actually German missionaries, and they may right. have been the ones who brought the tree over to America. Uh, right, that's it was... true. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely true. And then when they stayed in this country and they settled up in areas like Pennsylvania and Ohio, then that's, that's the reason that we had those. Um, and uh, but it goes back even even a little bit before then too. There's also a tradition within the church of having a play around Christmas time because this was considered Adam's birth date as well as um, Jesus's birth time. So uh, there were these little passion plays that were done, and one of the plays uh, representing the Garden of Eden would have had a tree, and that tree um, was oftentimes just mocked up with wood, and it would have been hung with things like apples and wafers, holy wafers, so people would know that this was supposed to be the, the tree that tempted Adam and Eve in the garden. Of, uh, and so um, those apples over time had um, turned into gifts and treats, and then they even became artificial. Uh, that's when we started having these wonderful glass-globed balls that we would, ornaments that we would hang on 
on, on trees are all a nod back to that time when, when you would decorate with, with fruit. But again, these things are so wonderful to have this, this continuity all through this. Even tinsel. Tinsel was invented in Germany. And I think that was the early 1600s. And um, at that time, it was real silver. Can you imagine? Real silver. And so, fortunately, a lot less expensive one came out. And I don't know if you had to do this as, as a child, but I had to help straighten out the tinsel so it could be rehung on the tree. Did you have to do that? Yeah, pick it, yes, before, yeah, pick it off the tree. Yeah. Throw the tree away, but keep the tinsel, yeah. Don't forget right. to mention Prince Albert now. Oh, now, oh, that's exciting. That's a romance story that I that absolutely is romance. love. <laughs> that is romance. All right, so in 1846, the uh, very popular royals, this is uh, Queen Victoria and her German Prince Albert, were depicted in a drawing um, that was popularized in the newspapers of having a family celebration where they had a small Christmas tree, and it was, set on top of a table, and there was the princess depicted as being, or the queen, rather, as being beautiful and slim and a very uh, attentive mother, and, of course, the dashing Albert was off to the side. Well, um, this was in the Illustrated London News, and it was such a big deal. It was copied in the U.S. and brought over, and they changed the look. They didn't want it to appear as a royal family. They wanted it to appear as just some normal, very wealthy family. Anyway, it became such a hit in the U.S. that because of that, people started putting up Christmas trees in their house. And it, uh, the very fashion-conscious East Coast American society, this had arrived. And it's been a big thing ever since. So... The mid-Victorian tree was was a big deal. It really was. And you you told me, and then we'll take a break. You, this time goes so fast. Yeah, we're down to the last quarter of the program now. But one of the songs that we might play tonight, and and that song that we heard earlier was the one that I replaced it with. But the name of the song that you told me was "Oh Tannenbaum." Which right. is German, and what does Tannenbaum mean when you translate it? Means that? Christmas, it means Christmas tree. It's Tannenbaum, okay. Tannenbaum, the Grüne deine Blumen. Uh, how green are your branches? So, um, yeah, and uh, so I only know that because I used to sing it. <laughs> well, you know, that's the thing I think I've discovered about a lot of songs and hymns, particularly, is people sing them and they don't really take the words apart uh, and. Uh, Sometimes you could be singing something that you might not want to be singing. I don't think this is true of Christmas uh, hymns and things like that. By the way, I think uh, usually the more, most favorite of all Christmas songs usually is Silent Night. And I always think that you should at least hear it one time during the holidays in German because it was written in German and translated into English. And it yeah. somehow Silent sounds a little bit...
and we will have our annual program, which we've been doing for the last 20 or 25 years. Right before Christmas, we always have a, a trivia night, a Friday night trivia devoted to what we used to call Saturday morning programming, and that's Sky King and the kinds of things that were for kids. Uh, well, you'll see Wiley. We'll have a question probably about Wiley Coyote and Bugs Bunny and Tweety Bird and uh, Sylvester and Elmer Fudd and all those people, and Johnny Quest. That's tomorrow night uh, at 9, 9 o'clock here on WPTF. In the meantime, tonight, we've got about eight minutes left, Pam Beck of Pam Beck Gardens and just General Pam Beck to talk about the plants and the symbols of Christmas, uh, which is just around the corner. It's closer than one thinks, and so the ball is yours again. It is. Thank you. And we were talking uh, before the break about the fact that so many plants are mentioned in our wonderful Christmas songs, uh, whether it's the holly and the ivy or old Christmas tree. Um, A couple of them I really did want to mention is in a Christmas hymn, it's We Three Kings of Orient Are. And in that hymn are probably the only two plants that we can truly connect with that were in the Bible mentioned about the time of the Christmas of the nativity. And the two plants in this are spices that were probably came along the spice route, and they were frankincense and myrrh. And frankincense and myrrh are both very expensive rosins from uh, exotic plants that were burned to... Uh, to be uh, incense in the temples, so they were used in holy ceremonies. Frankincense particularly is used in the Catholic Church and incense burners uh, to remind you of the presence of God, whereas myrrh was mixed with aloes and used for the preparation of the deceased. So it was a very important part of the ritual of burial. And so there was a little bit of foreshadowing going on with both of those as as gifts from uh, Melchior, Caspar, and Balthazar. <laughs> you know the three, the supposed names of the three kings. Uh, but the other thing that we talk about often is uh, away in the manger, uh, little Lord Jesus asleep in the hay, and the scripture says that Jerry, that Mary wrapped the infant in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger. Nowhere does it say on a nice soft bed of hay or oats or whatever would have been in a manger. And a manger was a feed trough for an animal. So it it could have been a very empty thing too. But we'd like to think that the baby would have something a lot more comfortable to rest on. So I think that's great that we hope, hope that way. Um, but there's so many wonderful plants that are associated with this time of year, um, cranberries and apples and cherries, all these things that we like to eat, all the wonderful spices and things that we um, enjoy. Uh, the, we have names of common things, like we call, for instance, uh, a hellebore, which is a perennial. We call it a Christmas rose because it blooms around this time of year, and it's not a rose. It's a lovely little um, shade-loving perennial. But when we see things that are out there that we're using to decorate our houses with, more than likely they've got a 
story. They've got a story behind them. And it, I just want the listeners to remember that everything that you do this time of year is connected to celebrations of hope and light and love and renewal. And, boy, we need that this year. Well, you know, Pam, you, you have us just sit here meditating on what you were saying. Um, uh, I think we've talked about the, the stained glass windows uh, as educational projects. That is for what we're talking about is a, a, most people were illiterate. They did not read. There were no books. There were no TVs. There was no website. And so what you've got is things to teach, to entertain, and to teach people to 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 remember, to be keys to memory. And the stories that go with them are the keys to memory. And uh, uh, and whether you know the kind of stories, for instance, that you've, that you've told a few of tonight, and so uh, it's good that uh, that uh, some of those stories have not disappeared with all the technological changes that have taken place. That still we go out and look at the the uh, the uh, holly and the ivy, and still we want to have a real Christmas tree, although you could have one made out of metal in your house or, or something like that, <laughs> which became very popular in the in the 1960s. The rotating silver ones so that the uh, rotating lights that were on them, my, my mother delved into that for a short time. <laughs> well, you had, there was a light, I think, on the floor that, that rotated in, yes. and, and yes. it cast different colors of light. Well, one of the things that if we had another program uh, we could do is to talk about the fact that our modern Christmas, to a great extent in the United States, has been generated out of things like Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol, and that wonderful poem that we call The Night Before Christmas, which was written in 1822. Uh, and uh, our, our picture of what old St. Nick looked like and how many, actually how many reindeer he had. Of course, Gene Autry added Rudolph a little bit later. But, yeah, but there's well, a picture it, there. Pardon me? Yeah. No, well, it's interesting that you should mention that because so much of what we have that we think is is sometimes old and traditional it is a lot newer than people um, suggest. They didn't realize that the popularity of the poetry is what made us have the ideal Santa that we have now. That and the Coca-Cola advertisement um, that depicted him as this jolly old elf in, in red velvet and white fur and that type of thing. And like you said, the story of Rudolph from Gene Autry. Um, also, Frosty the Snowman. Uh, snowmen have been created for, uh, you know, for thousands and thousands of years, but they looked very different, and they were used for very different purposes than the uh, Frosty with his little coal eyes and carrot nose and um, top hat. That was, that was all based on a song, and the song was so popular that a book was written based on it, and that's how that, that came to be. Well, we're within the last minute now, so we have to be quick, but you, one has to be careful in, in, in things like this, too, because uh, new chapters are being added to this story every year. Like, uh, it's, it's almost become uh, a part of the, 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 the Bible of things, not the literal Bible, but Charlie Brown's Christmas, for instance, is, is yeah. right up there with the, the night before Christmas and so on. And I can imagine some person coming to the minister and said, I've looked all over this Bible and I can't find a word about the little drummer boy in here anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> that goes along with the, with the hay in, in your manger that you were talking yes, about a little does. earlier. 
We need to go, Pam. Thank you so much for doing this. Merry Christmas, Tom. I hope you and yours, this has been one of the better shows we've had, and I hope you and yours have a Merry Christmas. I'll talk to you in just a few minutes. And, John, we will come back tomorrow night and uh, have Stephen on to talk about the programs of Saturday morning.